0: Welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Danny Miss. Today, we are recapping a... I'm not really sure how to describe the win against West Virginia. Look, it was a win in Morgantown, which is something that's hard for the Jayhawks to come by. But I came away from that game kind of not really sure what to think. So to help me try to sort through my feelings, try to figure out what we can actually take away from this game, coming back to the podcast, Brendan Drzezinski, uh, you know, he is one of our analysts over at Blue Wings Rising and also... Uh, over on WIBW fm over in Topeka. Brendan, how are you doing today? I'm good, Andy. How about yourself? I'm doing great. It's great to have you back on the podcast. And and look, like I said in the opening here, this game was, it was weird all around. Like, West Virginia was getting tons of easy shots and not making any of them. And Kansas, like, seemed like they probably should have won this game by 30, but only won by 13. Like, what what do you take out of this game?
1: You know, it's interesting you bring up the shots that just weren't going in this game. It was Michael Swain over from 24-7, Fog.net, who put out that via shot quality.
0: Right. I love that
1: thing. Yeah, Yeah. KU should have lost this game based on the shots that either team was taking. So you can look at that two ways, I think. One, the more, I don't know about pessimistic, but the more reality way to look at it, I suppose, is West Virginia got unlucky. They just could not make shots. They got open looks. They just could not make shots. The optimistic way I think you could view that is KU okay, wasn't supposed to make as many of them. That's just high-level shot making, and you're going to take that. And You've got the number one guy in the entire Big 12 you trust to make shots for you, and that's Ochi Abadji, and we'll get more to Ochi here in just a little bit, I'm sure. But honestly, and you know me, I'm as optimistic as it comes when it comes to KU basketball and KU in general. 13 point win on the road in the big 12 is something that I am always going to be happy with, unless it comes with some sort of devastating injury in the mix as well. But you mentioned things got weird. It's Morgantown on a Saturday night. I think basketball or not, things get weird in Morgantown on Saturday night. So that is kind of fair. a weird game. You still come away with a double digit victory though. And really the players who have been your three best players for the majority of big 12 play, Ochai David McCormick, Jalen Wilson, all played really well. Oach scores 23 points. McCormick and Wilson both end up with double doubles, 11 rebounds apiece. Frankly, it was weird, and there were elements of it where sort of like we have all season, you think, why are we going to this rotation? Why are we doing this? Why is whatever not working? But in the end, you still come away with a double-digit victory against a team that frankly isn't all that good. I know I put that in my prediction over for Blue Rings Rising that this West Virginia team, frankly, while they to a degree, have KU's number at home at the WVU Coliseum. They're just not good this year. So you knock them off by double figures. More than anything, I'm going to feel positive about that, even with the token weirdness that came with the game in Morgantown.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you look at all the numbers. KU scored 1.08 points per possession, uh, you know, on offense. They only gave up 0.88 points per possession. I don't care what the level of your opponent is. Like, that. that's good. Like that's not something that you can be upset about. Um, I will say the whole shot quality thing, the one thing that kind of jumps out because I was actually I I finally went around. I've been looking at their numbers and I've been kind of using their numbers without really digging too far into what their formula is and, and, and kind of what they put out. And the one question I do have, I'm not sure how much they actually adjust for the level of the opponent defense. In those calculations, because it looks like and, and kind of just a brief primer, I'm actually kind of hoping uh, I, I have reached out briefly. I am. Try, I'm hoping to try to actually talk with him a little bit more, whether that's, you know, explain in an article or have him on the podcast or something like that. But I, I do kind of want to know more about this because it is one of those numbers. that's nice to kind of throw out there. But the one thing that I do wonder, you know, looking at this and looking how much how much, quote unquote, luck Kansas has in in their calculations is how much you know, how much is Kansas able to make a team or affect a team shot that they would normally make and turn it into something that they're not getting as good of a look? Um, because that's part of the issue as well. Like Kansas has shown the ability to disrupt some shots that normally teams like to have, but they don't get to take them in exactly or in, in a similar sort of way that they usually would do it. And that's the hallmark of a good defense, a defense that's getting better. And you look after this game, like Kansas' defense over on Ken Palm was like mid thirties. I think it was 35 coming into the game. They're at 28 right now. When I look at Ken Palm, which means that either everybody else got a lot worse around them, which isn't very likely like the teams that have good defenses, aren't just having bad performances. They're going to, you know, allow the Jayhawks like enough of them for the Jayhawks to jump up by seven spots. Um, The Jayhawks actually had a good defensive game here, which is definitely something that I saw in this game. Yes. West Virginia seemed to be missing a lot of bunnies around the rim, but like when you look they, when they went in for layups, it wasn't like they just had absolutely complete open looks, to layups, you know, driving in from the wing and just completely whiffed. There were guys that were kind of, you know, making enough of a move to, to make them adjust the shot. They were having to do a lot of adjustments in the air. Yes, they were missing layups, but it wasn't like it was a wide open layup that they could just go in and they just completely missed it. It was, Hey, there was a guy in their way. They kind of had to, you know, squeeze around him a little bit. It, it altered the trajectory of the shot. Like, normally you would still expect West Virginia to make a lot more than they actually did, but it's not like you can say that Kansas didn't do anything to make them miss those shots. So kind of what we take away from this, you know, it it is definitely something you kind of have to look at the level of the opponent. Like you said, West Virginia, they are in last place in the big 12 for a reason. They are not a very good team this year. Um, You know, there's definitely some questions about like, at what point are they kind of giving up and, you know, deciding that we're, we're going to, you know, be ready for next year and, There's definitely kind of some open questions, uh, you know, in terms of Bob Huggins and and the guys that he have, you know, with the way that this transfer portal is set up, are you worried about some of them leaving? But I don't want to dive too deep into West Virginia itself, because I do want to take a look at what they are, you know, like what Kansas did and what we can take from Kansas moving forward. And obviously you already talked about it. Otayi Baji is the first guy you have to mention from here. He's kind of taken, I think, a little bit of a backseat as teams have kind of face guarded him a little bit more, kind of focused on limiting his game in the last few games, Um, he had a hell of a game in this game. Um, you know, he only had three rebounds, but he, he, you know, he only turned the ball over twice. He didn't do a lot other than score, but he definitely scored a whole bunch in this game. So, so what did you see from him? That was most impressive. Was there things that he did outside of scoring that really contributed to his game? Or was this just a game where he decided to go crazy from, from, or in terms of scoring?
1: Well, and the scoring is obviously what jumps off the page. It was his 14th 20-point game of the year. Again, you put up 23 points on the road, over 50% shooting, 8 out of 15, made three threes, was good at the free throw line, which is a very welcome sight, by the way, to have a good game from the free throw line. Oh, yeah, for KU. sure. <laughs> 18 to 22 from the line as a team. Oach was 404. That's a very welcome sight, especially in a place for, again, to go back to the original theme. It is very weird, and things don't always go the way you would normally expect. So that was a positive thing. But the other thing, too, while it still entails scoring and his scoring ability, it's the fact that Ochai commands so much attention from every other team that KU plays. And that was no different against West Virginia. You know, I'm going to do another name drop here for you, but we were talking on Sports Talk in Topeka earlier this week with CJ Moore from The Athletic, and I made an offhand comment about how Jalen Wilson, you could argue has been KU's best player the last couple of weeks. And he jumped in and said, hey, hold on now, you know, Wilson's playing really well. He's been phenomenal scoring off the glass in transition, whatever, but go back and watch what opposing defenses are doing even away from the ball against Ochai Baji And the fact that, everyone's attention you've got your one guy who's guarding him face guarding him whatever but everybody else has to know exactly where he is on the floor it was a couple of games ago now. jesse newell had a clip on twitter of ochai on an inbound play this was two games back i believe he goes into the corner mccormick's underneath the basket multiple defenders run with ochai into the corner and again this was the same kind of stuff we saw in this west virginia game so to me it's not necessarily the impact outside the scoring column in the stat sheet that is as impressive as it is for Ochai but it's the fact that you have to focus that much attention on him, which you probably wouldn't have to do as an opposing defense if he had cooled off just naturally at some point. Because I think if you go back to non-conference play, as excited as all of us were that he was playing that well, there was definitely a little bit of a feeling that, okay, he's probably going to cool off a bit. He never did. He never cooled off. At yeah, not at all. He missed the game due to COVID. Then you have a couple of games where defenses were doing literally everything they could to stop him. You know, Texas face guarding him for the entire game, only letting him take seven shots in that game. He's still been able to get his though. And the fact that he's been that consistent and for a guy who, while he's been good for the, now almost a full three and a half years that he's been playing for KU has had streaky moments I mean you go back to that half a freshman year there were times when he looked like oh my god this guy's going to be truly special like we now know him to be and there were moments when he thought oh yeah he's getting red shirted for a reason and that was the case in his freshman year sophomore year junior year and I think it was natural to expect that again but to me it's the I don't necessarily know if it's intangible things, but it's the fact that you have to always pay attention to him. And he just by the virtue of being him is opening things up for everybody else on the floor. So the scoring, if he can get you 23 points in a game, shoot it above 50%, shoot it 50% from three and can be good at the free throw line while also opening things up for you know Christian Brown, who didn't have a great game, did have 11 rebounds, but didn't have a great game. I don't think anybody would tell you he did. But opens things up for Jalen Wilson. I mean, hell, he's helping the guards out as well. Dewan Harris, Joseph Yesfu, all of these guys, and McCormick too. Him, you can name the entire roster. They're all being helped by his just natural presence at this point, and that is a credit to the fact that he's playing this well in general, but really the fact that he's been so consistent over the course of the year. And I think this was just another great example of it. And to get that attention to put up 23 points, I don't think that's gotten enough credit. I don't care how bad West Virginia is. That is a tremendous effort at this juncture of the season.
0: Well, and that's the thing too. Like, yes, West Virginia is bad offensively, but they're still a good defensive team. Like they, they're 37th after playing KU. I think they were 34th coming into the game. Like they are still a good defense. They're not good by big 12 standards because there's so many phenomenal defenses in the big 12. Like I think they're like seventh or eighth in the big 12, but like, that's not anything to sneeze at. <laughs> so, like, the fact that he was able to have that kind of game. But but going back to kind of your point, you know, about how Abaji has really kind of taken a lot of pressure off of a lot of the other players and have really opened up things a lot for them. Um, you know, he is the only player that has been consistent the entire year. Everyone else has had long stretches. Christian Brown started just as hot as which Abaji did and tailed off for a good portion of like the end of non-conference, the beginning of conference play. Um, he finally appears to kind of be back in the swing of things, maybe, you know, still a little bit inconsistent, but definitely getting there. But you know, Abaji, apart from the two games where, you know, he's coming off of COVID and they were heavily concentrating on making sure he didn't go off. He's gone off in pretty much every game, like, I I threw it in one of the game primers, you know, before I think it was before the Baylor game where he was at like 20.6, which is the the second it was the second highest average points per game at the time um, of the Bill Self era. Like he has been absolutely killing it this year. And so it's definitely one of those things where he still has the opportunity to get it back up there to get that that uh, that that average up there. But like the one game that he was out against Iowa State, you know, if there were if there was someone else who was playing a lot better or or was, you know, kind of. On that trajectory to be the best player over the last few weeks, you would have expected somebody to go off in that game, but it was a very balanced game. Like, I think part of that was the fact that you had role players like Jalen Coleman lands, and you had other guys that came in and had good games. So you didn't necessarily need a guy like Jalen Wilson to step up and be that guy. But you know, even in games where Ochai Abadji hasn't needed to be the guy this year, he has been the guy. He's been the guy that, you know, the offense runs through him. He's the main scorer. He's the main guy that everybody tries to shut down, and he still scores a bunch of points. So, yes, I think that's where we're at with Ochai Abadji. He's been so good this year that people are almost taking it for granted. But like when he has a good game like this, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's Ochai Abadji. Of course, he's going to have a good game. He always does. And that's the point. He always has a good game. And that's what's so phenomenal. So, yes, we actually I'm I'm guilty of this. We had a we had a, a, a uh, I forget which one it was, but, you know, a little while back where we actually talked about all the, you know, phenomenal players in the game. And I made an offhanding comment. It's like, yeah, you know, Abaji had a great game, but he always has a great game. I want to talk about this person instead. And so like I even I'm guilty of it. Like this is one of those things though. we are seeing a truly special season from a guy in Ochai Abaji that we have not given nearly enough credit for, I think. Um, I'm excited to see what he's able to do in the rest of the schedule. Um, but rather than turn this into the Ochai Baji show, let's go ahead and talk about, you know, the 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 next guy that jumps off the page for me would be David McCormick. You know, he had a phenomenal game um, in, in the first game against West Virginia, especially that second half where he just took off. He had another double-double in this game, 19 points, 11 rebounds. Um, you know, he did have those three turnovers, uh, but I, I'm not really going to be too upset about that, especially with the way that, that some of those plays actually went, but what did you see from McCormick? Well, was it him just taking advantage of a good matchup against West Virginia, or was there something else that he did that maybe you think will carry over to other opponents?
1: Well, I think it was one, just a game that he matched up well in. And I think a big example of why even beyond his performance and, we kind of understood why going into I don't know a few minutes into the game you know Zach Clemens wasn't going to get off the bench and get much run in this game you know this wasn't the kind of game for KJ Adams and I know that more says okay Mitch Lightfoot's going to get some time but this is a game where you needed your big physical big men to come in and make plays more so than you can rely on young guys maybe guys who aren't as physical like the two I just mentioned so this already was a good matchup for McCormick and a game in which KU really needed him to play well but again to me it goes back to consistency you know I I heard after the game I had ESPN on and they went to the halftime show or the mid-game show whatever it was and Seth Greenberg says well KU team if they can get McCormick going and keep playing like this Seth everyone he's been playing like this this is David McCormick now and again I know it's hard to get over early season first impressions and our first impression of 21-22 David McCormick was to be blunt, wow, this guy sucks. Like, oh my God, what happened to him after he was second team all big 12 last year. And there was a lot of conversation. I mean, we had this conversation that last year was the same thing. Start of the year thought, oh my God, there's no Udoka. And now he, he can't play. But then in the big 12 season, he was fantastic. And now, Get into Big 12 play this year. I believe that was his sixth double-double of the year last night. The defensive rebounding, still a question mark. That's still, I think, one of the weaker main parts of his game. But he is, what, the best offensive rebounder in the Big 12, one of the best in the entire country. He had 11 boards in that game against West Virginia, six on defense, five on offense. I mean, his offensive rebounding is tremendous. Some of that is padded because he misses his own shots and puts them back in. But I'm not going to take away from the guy who is that good cleaning up the offensive glass so to me it's another element of consistency that whatever mental block was keeping him from playing well is gone and he's not an unbelievably efficient shooter inside you know he's not udoka making 78 percent of his shots at the rim or whatever he did his final year back in 1920 but he's good enough he's generally over the course of his career been good enough at the free throw line this year a little bit shakier but again I think that comes back to whatever mental block he was dealing with for a large portion of the season this is who he is at this point and frankly we should be expecting at this juncture of the season for him to have this kind of performance against a team like West Virginia maybe not 19 and 11 but yeah if you had said hey we need him to get 15 and 10 in this game I would have said yeah and he should be able to go do that at this point and that is one higher expectations for this team that a guy who early in the year you in a way had to play without has to step up but it's a credit to him too because he's been that good really since the beginning of big 12 play but especially over the past couple of weeks so it was a combination i think andy this weekend of it was a good matchup for him and a matchup that ku needed him to play well in but also this is who he is now this is 2021 big 12 play david mccormick in 2022 and there are some metrics out there i've seen these scattered about in the Twitterverse over recent weeks he's been better this year than he was last year when he was second team all big 12 so it's just another element of consistency that makes me encouraged for where this ku team is going there are still some difficult games coming up obviously k-state this week which I don't know what level of difficulty that is. You still got Baylor coming up this coming Saturday, Texas on senior day and postseason play is always challenging, but this is the player we should expect. And we should be holding David McCormick to this standard at this point, we should be expecting 15 and eight, 14 and eight plus every game. And again, I'm optimistic that he can give it to us because he has proven he's been able to do that. And West Virginia was another example.
0: Yeah, it's definitely one of those things. And, and I think, you know, We've had this conversation. I've had this conversation with several people. McCormick definitely seems like a guy, as as Fetch and I have talked about multiple times. He thrives against big opponents that really will challenge him physically. And I think what we've seen, you you look in the non-conference, there weren't very many of those. And so for him to kind of take that step back, like knowing that about him now, seeing just how well he steps up and like the big exception, obviously, I think was when he went up against Oscar Sheway against Kentucky. But everybody kind of seemed shell-shocked in that particular game. So I'm not going to hold that against him too much. But for the most part, when he gets a big guy that's going to stand up to him, that's going to push back on him, he rises to the challenge there and really plays some of his best games. Um, this is one of those games I think where Gabe Oatsboyan, um, you know, and, and some of the other West Virginia players, they had multiple guys that could come in and try to play against McCormick and he rose to the challenge there. Him starting slow as I think a theme, just because Kansas doesn't play a lot of non-conference opponents who have big men who have really good big men. And so it can be a little more difficult for him to learn how to play with that and kind of struggle with that. Then once you get in the big 12 play, I, I'm, I'm struggling to think of a single team with the exception of maybe Texas tech that does not have a big man, at least, that will challenge Do- or David McCormick while he's inside. And so it's one of those things where him to come on strong in, in the Big 12 is not surprising to me at all. It shouldn't be surprising to anybody, really. Um, it also, I think, really kind of shows, one, his limitations, but really where we can expect to see him thrive. I would be worried about him, you know, playing in the NCAA tournament against a team that is, a, a heavy guard lineup like really have a hard time doesn't really have anybody down low that's a game where we would need someone i think like a, a zach clements or or a kj adams or someone to play more minutes to be able to do that but when you play a team like west virginia who has a big guy down low who can pound on the inside even if west virginia has all the problems they have inside with the rebounding and all of that like that's where david rises the challenge and so i think we're going to see that moving forward there's not a lot of teams left on the schedule where they don't have a guy on the inside like that. So you're right. We would expect to see that from David the rest of the time. It's weird because it just seems like David is much more comfortable when he has a big guy in there to challenge him and try to make it uncomfortable for him. But let me, let me tell you comfort. That is something that you are going to have for sure. If you go visit sponsor here on the podcast, Homefield apparel, because Homefield apparel has the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. They have t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers. I absolutely love the stuff that they have. They don't have any KU stuff at this point. Hopefully they get it soon. But look, I went over, I have like nine or ten, nine or 10 shirts. My wife has four or five because they have so many different schools with fantastic vintage college logos. They have more than 100 different available right now. They're adding more all the time. They are right smack dab in the middle of the big new Saturday season three, which is basketball themed, which is why a lot of us are hoping that Kansas is coming really, really soon. Um, You know, they are, they have the three weeks left. So still three more chances for Kansas to, to, to be featured here. But even if they don't get KU, if you head on over to homefielderpower.com, I guarantee you're going to find something you absolutely love that you're going to want. And if you use promo code CHOP12, you can get 15% off that entire first order. All orders over $100 get free shipping. I don't blame you if you want to wait and see if Kansas gets anything in the big new Saturday. But if we get to the end of that and they haven't done it yet, definitely make sure you head on over there and find something because if you haven't had home field yet, you're missing out. You're going to want it. So homefielderpower.com, promo code CHOP12 gets you 15% off your entire first order and all orders over $100 get free shipping. All right, Brandon, I do want to talk about some of the other players from this game first. but, But first, I do need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk podcast.
1: Basketball season is finally
0: here, Big 12 fans. And for your home for men's and women's basketball, come to Midwest Madness. We are doing game coverages, going over game analysis, different rankings of teams, and consistently looking at the best matchups in the conference you're not going to want to miss out on all the amazing basketball coverage we have, so go check out Midwest Madness, available wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back, here with Brendan Drzezinski, uh, analyst over at Wings Rising, and of course, host over on WIBW-FM in Topeka. Uh, Brendan, look, who else in this game? Because we've already talked about McCormick, we've already talked about Abaji, and, you know, there, there were other players that played really well in this game, but it seems like they, you know, those were the two main guys who else kind of stood out to you or, or who else do you think we actually need to talk about from this game?
1: Well, I think the other guy that jumps to mind, we're gonna hitting all the SEO on this one, all the people, all the players that KU fans want to talk about the most. Got to make sure we get to Joseph Yesfu because he has been, I think, the flavor of the week over the last couple of weeks. Why don't we play Joe more? Why don't we play Yesfu more? Well, he's getting more run and, you know, as well as I know, it's paying off. And I think he's the next guy to talk about, you know, he didn't play a ton of minutes in this game and double checking. And yeah, he played 13 minutes. I know he played 22 the game prior, so it wasn't his most played game, but you know, for all the hand wringing over God, what about Remy? When's Remy going to get back? Need to have Remy. Remy might be a better shooter. He's obviously more experienced. He's got more experience specifically playing against big time opponents because he played power five ball before KU, whereas yes, who came from Drake didn't have, quite as many games like that but in a lot of ways the things that KU is missing not having Remy speed more than anything the small guy who can run the floor as quickly as anyone which Dewan Harris for all the good things he brings that's not his game I mean, he's not the speedy run the floor kind of guy yes food does bring that and the one play that stands out to me McCormick had a steal we're talking late in the second half here things were getting a little hairy, it had gotten close. I can't remember what minute mark it was. I want to say it was beyond the 10-minute mark, though. McCormick gets a steel ballstone right to him. He flips it to Yesfu, sprints down the court, up ahead to Abaji. he finishes. And that sort of felt like the turn-the-tide kind of play that, all right, West Virginia had their run, KU is going to get back. And I know that's more of a kind of feel analysis of it than an actual statistical or, or tape analysis, but that's really how that play felt. And that's the kind of thing – you get with Yesufu. and again is he the kind of player that remy martin at his best is right now probably not although to be fair we also haven't seen remy martin's best right. for the vast majority of this season either because he's been mysteriously hurt or because he just wasn't playing very well in his first year in a challenging system to learn but Yesavu gives you at least a little bit of that and a little bit of that team speed and athleticism that i think ku was clearly missing for a while and in a way it's Sort of unfortunate that it took this long, and it's not really in a way, it is unfortunate that it took this long to get some of the more unique pieces, more run for this KU team. We already mentioned how Zach Clemens didn't play a lot, but this wasn't a great matchup for him, but you go back to earlier games and recent memory, and yeah, he was a huge benefit. You go back to the Oklahoma game as a great example. Hey, we need someone who can go get on top of Tanner Groves. Oh, look, we've got this perfect fit for that on the bench. Get him in there. Oh, look, it worked. Same thing with Yesufu, Man, we need more speed out there. We need to run more lineups with the two small guards, or we just want to see someone else be able to run the point who isn't Dewan Harris with Remy Martin out. Yesafu is that guy, and while his numbers are rarely, at least given his usage at this stage of his career, going to pop off the stat sheet at you, his increased usage and his ability to run the either run the point or just be that second small guard on the floor who's actually got some legitimate foot speed, which, Harris, again, really doesn't have for all the good things he does bring to the table. That's huge. So while he still makes mistakes, and I think once or twice a game, he'll do something where you think, God, what are you doing? But more often than not, Yesfu is bringing something positive to the table. And again, I just keep replaying that rip and run in my mind. McCormick steal up to Yesfu, up to a Baji finish, and the game felt like it turned at that point. That kind of play, even if it's not going to pop off the stat sheet for him, you know, he gets the assist, but doesn't get anything else to the credit with that play. His ability to make lightning quick things happen, I think, was on display on Saturday in that win in Morgantown. And I think is going to be vital for this team because we don't know what Remy Martin is going to be. We don't know if he is going to play at any point the rest of this season because his injury is so mysterious and the handling of it has been, frankly, quite bizarre so if we can see more and more of Yesfu playing like that, even if he doesn't score a ton, even if he doesn't shoot the ball a ton, maybe he has a turnover here and there, if he can bring a little bit of that speed and that kind of blink and you miss it playmaking to the court, that's huge for KU because that was the one thing it felt like early in Big 12 play this team was really missing.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and real quick, just, just talking about Remy, like, yes, I think this team is better if he comes back and is playing at his full potential, but I, I don't know that you can actually count on him coming back and playing at his full potential. Even if you were to come back today for him to work back in, you know, and, and get through the mental block of coming off of an injury and, and, you know, trying to get back to, to full, you know, full speed and everything. I just don't know that there's enough time for him to do that and feel super comfortable. Um, It is definitely one of those things where Kansas ceiling is much higher if he's in there and playing really well, but this Kansas team is good enough and they have enough good pieces that they don't need him to come back. I definitely feel a lot better if he's available and they can rely on what he does. But like you said, yesterfu does a lot of similar sort of things, not quite as high of a level as the snealing that we would see from Martin, but he does a lot of similar sort of things. It's very clear, though, that he is definitely um, not as as seasoned, not as prepared to be able to do it long term, like do it over a large number of minutes. And so it's, you know, it, it seems to me it's a similar sort of thing where I don't know that I want Yesifu playing 25 minutes a game at this point. Um, he definitely still needs to kind of work on that confidence of what he's doing. And he has those huge spurts. But like you said, there's still like, you know, two or three times a game where you're just like, what the heck are you doing? Why are you on the floor? Like you play him for longer than what he's getting. And he probably see more of those minutes and the ratio of those minutes might kind of skew in the other direction. So it's definitely, you know, for all the flack that Dewan Harris gets, I think I, I've talked about it in the past. Um, I, I honestly think it's a lot of people are projecting onto Dewan Harris what they want him to be rather than appreciating what he actually is. And yes, you you want a ball handler that is going to be able to shoot and is going to be able to, you know, draw the offense and open things up for everyone else because he's such a threat offensively. But it's not a requirement to have a guy that can do that. Dwan Harris is not that guy. He he definitely seems like, like I still think he probably should be shooting a few more times than he does right now. But like you look at this game against West Virginia, he only had four shots, but Jalen Wilson only had five. And yes, Jalen Wilson was super active on on the the boards for those rebounds. But Dwan Harris is you know he plays good defense. He 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 had two steals in this game. He had four assists. Like that's kind of what his game is is being a pesk on on defense, um, helping to facilitate, finding those good passes. He had a few assists in this game that I don't know that anybody else on the team could have made. Um, and so it's one of those things where, yes, is he a perfect player? No, absolutely not. Like, is there more that he could be doing that you want him to develop in his game? Absolutely, of course. Like, I, I think I could say that about pretty much every player that's not named Ochai Baji right now. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where he is a very vital piece that provides a good baseline, a good floor for this team. Um, you know, in terms of the way that they run everything offensively. And so, again, I would like him to be able to shoot a little bit more. So teams don't sag off of him nearly as much, but you know, he shot more in the last few games than I think most people expected him to, which, you know, even against West Virginia, at least early in the game, they were, they were still kind of accounting for him, trying to make sure that he wasn't going to get an open shot. And then when he, you know, he showed that, uh, Hey, I have an open shot. I'm not going to take it. I'm looking look for a pass first. Then they kind of sagged off him a little bit. Um, but it is still one of those things. He still brings a lot to the table. I just think people are expecting too much from him.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, the last time I was on the show, I mean, we yeah. made the Marcus Garrett comparison because I think that's what people want him to be. They yep. want him to be this guy who last year was an old senior who was an elite defensive stopper, arguably the best one in the country, who was not an offensive frankly threat most of the time but was always going to make the right play one he's still only a redshirt sophomore there's a lot of time to grow into yeah. what he still can be and I don't think Dewan Harris is anywhere close to his ceiling to be completely frank with you and I think he can develop that offensive game probably to a higher degree than Marcus Garrett could give you over the ho- course of his career but they're just not the same player and I, I'm right there with you on the projection thing. And it's kind of funny seeing social media and Twitter kind of evolve over the course of a game and over the course of the season, because I swear I will see two back-to-back tweets. One is this guy is awful and he's unplayable. And yes, we should be the only guard on the floor at any given time, etc. etc. And then the next one will say, God, Harris is so un- underappreciated and unappreciated by KU fans. and He does so many things. And I think the answer is closer to the latter than the former, but there is a little middle ground in there that I think you have to find. And it's kind of weird that he's become maybe the most or second most polarizing player this roster has after probably David McCormick, given the start of the year. he had.
0: I, I actually don't think he's the most polarizing player. I think it's the idea of not having Remy. Like I, that's what it, it Really. That's what it is. It's that it's that they keep thinking about what they want instead of him rather than yeah. what is he bringing and why is he still on the floor? And yes, um, so, you know, the, the, the one guy though, we haven't talked about yet that, that saw significant minutes in this game. Oh, actually, you know what? There's, there's two more players I want to talk about. Um, sneak them both in here real quick. Christian Brown had a fairly good game playing 34 minutes, got nine points. Uh, he also got 11 rebounds. So he was super active. Uh, he, he did have five turnovers though. It seemed like it was a little bit of a rougher game for him. I wasn't really kind of seeing, I didn't really see a lot of flashy play from him, but he definitely brought the attitude that he normally brings. And of course, West Virginia kind of helped out with that. Uh, with some with some rather chippy play and and the way that the the fans were interacting with him, I thought it was hilarious. I think it was uh I don't know if it was Matt Tate or actually i th- I think it was Matt Tate that showed the little the little uh handout that they gave to everybody in the stadium and said every single time Christian Brown touches the ball, boo him I was like that is the stupidest thing that you could tell your players or your your fans to do because he feeds off of that energy now he didn't have a you know he didn't go off for like a career high or anything, but you could definitely tell that he was bringing that. Attitude And where there was not a lot of energy for people to feed off of the fact that every time he got the ball, it seemed like not just Christian Brown, but the entire Kansas team kind of pepped up a little bit because, hey, we're we're finally getting some energy from the fans that we can feed off of, you know, even, even if it's that negative energy. So I thought that was absolutely hilarious. But anything from his game that really kind of stood out to you in this in this game?
1: The one thing for Christian Brown and I I love CB. he is so much fun and and I think every KU fans feels this. I mean he's the epitome of you hate when you play against him, but if you have him, you love him. I mean you know if he played for K State, I mean they recruited him heavily just for example, KU fans would freaking hate. This oh guy gosh because, yes you know, like he's ours and you feed like fans feed off of that because he's feeding off of either the negative energy he gets or the positive stuff he gets at home, whatever it might be. So I love CB and I just want to preface it with that. He's got to shoot more and he's got to shoot the ball better. I think it comes down to that. I don't want, and I know every game there's different little elements of it that play into the final stats and the the final accumulation of events that happen, but I want Christian Brown shooting the bore from th- shooting the ball from three, pardon me, more than twice in a game. I need to see him shoot the ball more than that. And you know, he's not been exactly a sharp shooter in Big 12 play. You know, we expect him to be essentially that same shooter he was back in his freshman year when he was darn near lights out from three-point range and he's fine but he hasn't quite been that so that's the only critique I have from him and in this game against West Virginia hey you had Ochai put up 23 points you got 19 from McCormick and another double uh double double from Jalen Wilson with 10 and 11 as well if you're getting that you don't need Christian Brown to be a great scorer you don't need him to go four of six from three score 20 points and be one of your leaders and 9-11 and was more than enough from CB in this game. But that's the one thing that I am watching fairly closely is I just want to see a little bit more contribution from beyond the arc. And I know he personally wants to do more than that. He really has committed himself to being a better scorer going to the rim. He has really committed himself to being a better rebounder, doing other things both to help the team and to help his personal future with the NBA draft looming and whatnot as well but that's the one thing I would say if I'm, I am i know I'm nitpicking here because it was a 13 point win on the road in the big 12. He had nine 11 big day for KU. That's the one thing though. I want to see him shoot the ball more than twice from three point range, given the opportunity, if it's there, I want to see him make a few more than he's made uh, over the balance of big 12 play. But other than that, I mean, you kind of hit on it. That's the exact kind of game KU needed. He needed to play a role player kind of game, not totally screw up. Five turnovers ain't great, but, other than that, I thought he was just fine.
0: Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I will say, you get into the tournament, you know, especially you get into that second weekend, you know, it's very possible that that type of game wouldn't wouldn't cut it. But then at that point, you're playing some of the better teams or the hottest yeah. teams in the country, so um, it's not necessarily that worrisome at this point in the season. The last guy that I want to talk about, because let me tell you him coming in drove me absolutely crazy, especially with some of the way the plays that he had defensively. And look, I love the guy. He's probably one of my favorite players just because I love to talk about prison Mitch all the time. Uh, Mitch Lightfoot. He looked like you look at the stats here and he's only credited with two turnovers, but watching that game. And I actually went back and watched it again because I was wanting to make sure that I actually saw this correctly. I counted at least four other plays where he was late on a rotation. He, you know, did something like where he missed a screen that he was supposed to get or something that, that had one of his guys dribble into a very bad situation and then turn the ball over. Like, it seemed to me that this was a very big off game for Mitch Lightfoot. Am I imagining that? Like, am I attributing something to, to me wanting to see like KJ Adams in the game more, or did it really seem to you like he was struggling in this game as well?
1: No. And I think, you know, seeing Bill Self and hearing about Bill Self just ripping into him going into a timeout as well, I think is a good indication that, yeah, it wasn't Mitch's finest game. See, you know, I
0: completely missed that. I didn't even see where he like ripped into him. I know Jesse Newell
1: was tweeting about okay, it. Okay. He saw that it was it was happening there. And and look, I understand why you go to Mitch in this game. You know, we talked about it earlier. This is not the kind of matchup that really fits into the skill set that Clemens and Adams bring to the floor right now. And, and I think Mitch, to a degree, to defend him slightly, He's a victim of other folks' success at this point. You know, KJ has not been a scorer, but the energy he brings and the defense he's been able to bring in the post as well has been extremely valuable. Everybody is in love with Zach Clements right now, and that includes myself. And he's been really good in the opportunities afforded to him. So that kind of pushes Mitch down the totem pole in terms of you know fan popularity and, you know, maybe game to game impact that you would have expected from him. And I do think he's had some good moments this year. You know, he's had a couple of games where I actually thought, yeah, he looks As good as he's ever looked. But then he also occasionally runs into a game like this one, or really the last two, and you think, Good lord, like you're you're 15 years in in Big 12 play, and this kind of thing is still happening. I mean, that's kind of the Mitch Lightfoot (laughs) experience at this point. And yeah, this was not a good game for him. I'm right there with you. It was one of those where, again, enough other guys played well where you can say, Hey, so be it. But like you just said when we were talking about Christian Brown you're playing a crappy West Virginia team. You're not playing against, you know, four seed Villanova in the sweet 16 or, you know, two seeded Kentucky in the elite eight, whatever it might be. I'm going with the numbers from the committee that they released over the weekend, but, you know, against some of the best teams in the country, you probably can't afford in limited minutes to be that bad. And ideally you only need them for limited minutes. You can play McCormick most of the time, and then you can just rotate in Lightfoot Adams and Clements, on a situational basis, you don't have to give any of them that many minutes, but in a certain situation, a certain predicament, you can get something good out of all of them it's just a bad game for them. And I'm willing to write it off. And in this situation, say, Hey, whatever it's one game. But again, to the point you just made about CB that's probably not going to cut it when we get into these more important one and done games later on. So you flush this one and you hope in limited run, You don't end up with a player who is going to give the ball away either directly or indirectly that many times.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think really what it comes down to it is that you would hope when they get into a situation where the stakes are a lot higher than this one, um, that, you know, you're more willing to try out an Adams that maybe isn't a perfect fit in this game or a a Clements, you know, um, to kind of see if they can bring something that maybe you're not quite expecting but can actually work out really well for you. So, all right, well that is going to do it for us today. Brendan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcast. There's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the million apps that are out there. Just search for rock chalk podcast. so You can subscribe and get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments. It'd be absolutely great. Um, If if you want, I'm sorry, you can contact me at any any point by emailing me at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or contact me on Twitter at rockchalkpod for any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want me to try to interview, anything like that. Um, We really do bring the podcast. You guys get you all the information needed in as entertaining a way as possible. So we are on the 1012 Podcast Network. Uh, you know, we have a bunch of different podcasts over there that are all talking about all the teams in the Big 12 Conference. I, I still maintain the best way to know how the Big 12 Conference is going to affect the Jayhawks is by knowing what's actually happening with the rest of them. So if you go over on Twitter at TEN12network, you can find links to all the great shows that we have over there. Great group of people that we're working with covering all those teams. So we are on the Anchor platform, so you can leave us a voicemail. You can get your voice on the show. Just go to anchor.fm slash rock dash chalk podcast slash message. And I promise it will get you on there. So uh, make sure you visit our sponsor, Homefield Apparel. Promo code CHALK12 gets you 15% off your entire first order. Uh, and, but that's going to do it for us today. Thanks again, Brendan, for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast.
1: Welcome to Between Two Bears, the newest 1012 Network podcast. Uh, this is Matt Is Bear. I'm going to introduce my co-host Evan A Bear uh, to give you a quick idea of what the show is
0: about. Yeah, Between Two Bears is going to be a it's going to be a great. Sorry, Between Two Bears is going to be a great look at the silly and sometimes stupid. Between Two Bears is going to be a great look at the silly and sometimes stupid side of Baylor sports. Hey, I'm gonna try one more time. Big tween, two. Okay, uh, Evan. Evan's gonna go take a nap, um, but we are excited to join the Ten Twelve
1: Network along with the rest of their already great lineup of Big Twelve podcasts. Check them out at Ten Twelve Network on Twitter and us as well at Matt Is Bear and at Evan A uh Sick'em Bears.